This morning's reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Two Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 to 10. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, 14 years ago, was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man... Whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's word. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, and uh, yeah, we're in deep waters this weekend, as you can tell already. And um, it's a great place to come when the sun is shining and in the company of good friends and good food to think about some challenging issues, isn't it? And I pray, um, as we've already prayed, that the Lord would really speak to each of us through these uh, sessions that we have together, not just from what we hear, although importantly from what we hear from God's word, but also in the stories that we're able to tell, just as that uh, very honest uh, testimony to God's grace in difficult times that we've just heard um, touch us. Don't you find that it's often people's uh, struggles that, and, and the trials of life that teach you the most about your own Christian life? Don't you find that, actually? Um, that actually God ministers to you through the stories of others going through harder times. And so I've already been um, encouraged and blessed by what I've heard this morning. Let's pray together, shall we? And uh, we're going to come to God's word and that reading that we've just had. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So Lord, we come this morning knowing that in many ways what we have already heard um, through testimony and the reading of your word are not the things we want to hear. Uh, we want, Lord, a, a comfortable Christianity. We want you to tell us everything will be okay and all will be well. And yet, Lord, we know that... Uh, Weakness is the way, 
And we know that because of the Lord Jesus. He is not just a great saviour, he is our perfect role model. And so would you, by your spirit, speak to us and, and help our hearts to respond rightly and well to what we hear. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, do you, um, do you have 2 Corinthians 12 open? We're here briefly this morning now, and then after the break, we will actually return uh, to this passage. And I guess this is sort of the big idea of the series, but in our talks 2, 3, and 4, we're going to do sort of case studies on the theme of weakness and apply these principles into three different areas and aspects of life. After coffee break, we'll be thinking about particular physical pain and suffering, We'll think then tomorrow morning of uh, comparing ourselves to others. And then we'll think finally about the sense of disappointments, the if-onlys of life that we face and, and find ourselves wrestling with and replaying in our minds as we think, God, what are you doing? If only you could have done this in my life or that in my life. And that's where we'll, we'll end uh, tomorrow morning. Someone said, life is a tough journey. And Christians don't always tell the truth. Now, I don't think he meant that Christians lie, but I think sometimes we hold back. And the kind of testimonies that we've heard already this morning are not the kind of things we hear very often, are they? Um, because we don't want to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We hold back. And yet the Bible and the, the main characters of the Bible, whom God is working in and through, are quick to speak, aren't they, of the things that we quietly don't want to admit to. The Bible is a remarkably honest book. And when it comes to telling stories about the realities of life, 2 Corinthians 12 is a good place to come. In fact, the whole of 2 Corinthians um, is a testimony to the fact that um, at times the Christian life isn't easy. And a 2 Corinthians 12 is where we find Paul setting out the big theme of our weekend, which is that God uses weak people. In fact, he seems to particularly use weak people or to use weak people in their weaknesses in a ways that we don't really understand or appreciate. God is at work in the world in ways that surprise us because indeed his ways and thoughts are higher than ours. So don't be surprised if God wants to take your life and use you, weakness and all, to bless others um, now and into the future. Um, so we need a definition, don't we? What, what, is weak, what do we even mean about our weaknesses? Should we start with a definition? Here's one uh, theologian definition, which I, I think seems a good one for me. A weakness is any limitation that you inherited or have no power to change. A weakness is any limitation that you inherited or have no power to change. So it could be physical, like an illness. It could also be emotional, such as a, a trauma or a hurtful memory. It could be intellectual. Oh, I'm not as bright and talented and gifted as other people. It could be spiritual, a besetting sin that we don't seem to be able to kick. Physical, emotional, 
intellectual, spiritual, any limitation, inherited or otherwise, that you have no power or seem to have no power to change, that you might feel this, I'm going to walk with this limp for the rest of my life, maybe. So in chapter 1 of uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul can even say of himself, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. And many of us, I guess, during COVID have found ourselves under pressure. I don't know whether you still feel the effects through to today or just in other respects, but beyond your ability to endure in our church, I can think of a number of stories that I could tell inside our congregation, outside our congregation of people wrestling um, with these insecurities and pressures. Maybe it's a, a couple whose marriage seems to be on the rocks and a member of a small group who's off work with long-term depression, comforting the family whose son has been killed in a tragic car accident. Maybe it's the opposition you face from your family for even being a Christian or your evangelical convictions and how they're perceived at work. Our natural tendency is to, to hide because our culture says strength is good. Weaknesses never concede them. Never. Never tell anyone about your weaknesses. No politician will ever tell you they were ever at a party, let alone mistaken. All the Six Nations rugby teams at the end of this weekend will be taking away the positives from their humiliating defeats. Even... Even the Welsh. <laughs> and let's face it, you're not even allowed to sweat on television. Although, wasn't it interesting? Maybe you saw in the papers Clive Myrie, the uh, BBC correspondent, shedding a tear as he reported from Kiev. And that seeming to be covered by all of the social media, this tear running down his face as he, uh, face as he talked about what was taking place on the streets of Ukraine. No, no matter how uh, you and I are trained, we're trained really hard to stay in control. Tracy Emin once said, I'm not your average woman, and I'm not going to live your average woman's lifestyle. I set up the rules for me. I set up the parameters. I have nobody telling me what to do. And then she got bladder cancer, after which she said, my friend kept saying terrible things are always happening to you. And I thought, yeah, they really are. It's like never ending. The confidence drained away when the cancer came. So if strength is a virtue, then self-reliance is testimony to my strength, isn't it? Self-sufficiency is the goal. I've got this covered. And we don't want God to take that away from us. We don't want him to take it. Self-sufficiency, though, is the enemy of biblical Christianity, isn't it? And it's at the heart of the very first sin. So is it really a good thing to think that we're strong? Jim Packer has said, God doesn't allow us to stay with the idea that we're strong. We may have the idea, but the Lord is going to disabuse us one way or another, and it will be good for us, and it will give glory to him when he does so. How easy to fall into the world's trap, even as a church, to divide our congregations into those who are weak and those who are sorted. No, actually the reality is the church is divided only into two types of people, those who know that they're weak 
and those who are yet to learn the lesson. We may have strengths, but we're not strong. And the biggest mistake that we can make is to think that we can make it through this Christian life on our own. And at some point, as we've heard through that testimony this morning, our strengths will give way, or our bodies will wear out, or our talents will diminish, our abilities will wane, and then finally, death will prove at least for a time stronger than us all. When Robbie Williams sang, you think that I'm strong, you're wrong. And of course, he was right. So 2 Corinthians, as a letter, is at least in part teaching a church that's super impressed by the super apostles that have visited them. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 at your leisure some other time. Paul is wanting to teach them that in the eyes of a super confident Christianity, that actually know we model our life on our Savior Jesus Christ, and we are weak. Weakness is the way, because that's where we discover our strengths. Chapter 1 and verse 9, we were under great pressure, but Paul says this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So to the handout, if you've got your little book uh, here, you might want to turn to talk one, session one, and to our first point, weakness is the way in. You see, it's a funny thing, isn't it, that Christians um, struggle with the idea of being weak, because Christians should be and are the first people to acknowledge that weakness is the way in to the Christian life. That's where it all begins, isn't it? Repent and believe. Or Jesus in the Beatitudes begins, blessed are the poor in spirit. Doesn't Christianity begin with facing facts about ourselves, that I can't make it to God on my own, that I need nothing less than Jesus, his perfect life and perfect death for my forgiveness of sins. I am helpless. Nothing to, the, to, to my God I bring, only to the cross I cling. Nothing less than Jesus, helpless, utterly dependent on him. The, de- the gospel declaration begins with the cry of I am weak. And every Sunday we sing songs about our inability to save ourselves. Weakness is the way in, but we're not so taken with the idea that weakness is the way on in the Christian life. We are weak in him, yet by God's power we live with him. And the Corinthians didn't like the lesson any more than we do, I suggest, discovering that weakness is the way in and the way on. Who wants to choose to be hard-pressed and perplexed, as Paul says in chapter 4, persecuted, even struck down? But no, weakness is the way on. And that is why Paul can say when we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I delight in weaknesses, verse 10. That's an essential truth, but wow, imagine that. Delighting in weakness. And as we've heard, we need that confidence to know of what God is wanting to do and to achieve and how he wants to grow us through suffering. Otherwise, we'll be utterly perplexed and confused and dismayed when sufferings come. And we'll begin 
to hear the lie of Satan's voice, that actually God is not for us but against us. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and uh, see over on the page there under point D, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. And the first thing I want us to see from these verses is that weakness comes uh, from a gift from a sovereign God who loves us. Look at verse 7, would you? Paul had been given these extraordinary revelations, but he refuses really to want to talk about them. In fact, when he talks about what he's seen and experienced being taken up to the seventh heaven, to paradise itself, he's so reluctant to talk about his apostolic credentials, if you like, that he addresses it himself in the third person. He actually prefers to say, oh, I know a man who dot, 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 was carried up. These super apostles who claim to know so much and to be so much, chapter 11, well, Paul's got his own stories to tell. If anyone could write a book uh, about what it's like to know Christ, what it's like to be taken into the presence of God, it's Paul. But actually, he refuses to write the book. And he won't even put his name to the cover. He just says, look, you know, I know a man who was carried up into the very throne room of God, to the presence of God, to paradise itself, verse 4. But he won't boast about that. So, verse 7, he chooses to boast about his own weakness because of these surpassing great revelations. So we can be clear, it is Paul talking about himself, verses 1 to 6. Verse 7 is the hinge. Because of these surpassingly great revelations, verse 7 to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given to me, or I was given, a thorn in the flesh. There was given to me. It's sometimes known as a divine passive. God is not named directly, but when the words are used in this form, it's always spoken of God. There was given to me. And it's always, in the scriptures, a positive thing. It's a gift that was given. God gave me a gift because of these great revelations that I'd had carried up into the very presence of God to keep me from becoming conceited. So in other words, that was God's intention. It was a good thing to humble him, to keep him grounded. He was given something. I was given a gift. I only ever used to denote God's action. It's always used positively to indicate blessing and favor. But the gift isn't a pleasant one to receive. God in his sovereignty is standing behind this experience of suffering that Paul is going to go on to describe in verses 7 and following. God in his sovereignty stands behind this experience. And we can be confident that God stands behind it because Paul tells us why he was given it. Did he know it at the time? I don't know. But he can look back and say, ah, I can see what God was doing by humbling me, by bringing me to to an end of myself. And he says it was to keep me from becoming proud and boastful and arrogant. I think exactly the charge that he would lay at these so-called super apostles in chapter 11, who were full of themselves, and he won't be full of himself. And so he's going to boast of his weaknesses. Paul knew that a good God stood behind a painful trial. He's got his theology 
uh, sorted, a good God stands behind this painful trial. He knew he was loved. He was utterly convinced, not because he himself was worthy of God's love, but because he was in Christ and God had already opened the door of heaven to him, just as he has to us. I don't know whether you've ever been given a VIP ticket to anything. I mean, like a real proper VIP ticket. It's only happened to me once. Uh, my wife used to be a silversmith. That was her degree, and she worked for a company in uh, Birmingham. And her company designed the National TV Awards trophy. So every year, they were given a box at the Royal Albert Hall when the National TV Awards were held. And then one year, the director of the company said to Jane, oh, why don't you come this year? It'd be really good, because you designed the trophy. You come and bring Neil as well. And not only did we get to sit in, the, in a box in the Royal Albert Hall, but we got to walk along the red carpet with all of, with Anton Deck and all of the TV stars, <laughs> um, most of whom I had no idea who they were because it was kind of Corrie and EastEnders and all of these kind of things. But we walked along the carpet with them and the flash bulbs were going off and the press were shouting out names, not mine, unfortunately, but <laughs> shouting out other names. Um, people were holding out cameras for selfie. I was so tempted. I thought, surely someone will take it that I'm famous. They just don't know who I am. And things to sign. And I did my level best to look the part and play the role. But, you know, the reality was I had no right to be there. Uh, someone else had secured my place. It was Jane who'd done all the hard work. She designed the trophy. I was just her plus one. And uh, our place in heaven is a gift, isn't it? We are a plus one. Um, our part is to receive that gift with joy. Paul knew that heaven had been open to him. He'd been taken up, caught up into paradise, heard inexpressible things. But the same God who took him to paradise, the same God who gave him the revelations was now giving him a thorn. Can you believe that? The same God who's opened up heaven to you, who's given you the gift of eternal life, might give you the gift of a thorn in the flesh. For the same reason. Because he loves you. Because it will do you good. Not to punish you, but to protect you. To stop me from becoming conceited, says Paul. To help him walk humbly before his Lord and maker. The God who gave the gift, gave the thorn. That's really hard, isn't it, for us to get our heads around and to believe? But that's why Paul can call it a gift. Paul Tripp wisely said monasteries were a failure because they neglected one very significant biblical truth. The biggest danger to every human being is located inside of them and not outside of them. <laughs> Interesting. So you can, you can get a bunch of... Imagine if we just kind of built a wall around High Lee and we never left. Wouldn't it all be great? No. Some, some of you know. No, definitely no. But, yeah. <laughs> some of you are thinking, well, maybe. But, you know, if the problem's inside you, then, you know, it would go wrong quickly, one way or another, before or after the rugby. I don't know, but it would go wrong. You know, the problem's in here. So... Sometimes a thorn is what is needed to keep us where we need to be before our God. 
So only if you're utterly convinced by the gospel that God loves you, that God is for you, will you accept suffering as a gift. You have to be sure that God is for you to receive it as a gift. And if you don't, you're going to really come into trouble somewhere down the line. I can think of a couple of instances, I'll tell one now, that demonstrate that this sometimes takes a while to work out how it's a gift. Jane and I were married for 12 years before we had children. Not by choice, but by God's gift, by his design. In fact, we were seven years trying for children. So to start with, we, we hadn't planned. We were 23. We hadn't planned to have kids straight away. But we spent seven years trying to have children. And we saw all of our friends have kids. And as each year went by, it got a little bit harder for people to tell us, hey, we're expecting a baby and, and so on. And it was hard. You know, year 10, year, year 11, year 12. It was, there were a lot of tears. There was a lot of heartache um, along the way. But our church was started by five people. We had no financial backer, no denominational support, no congregation to give. Yet from the very beginning, I was able to work full time for the church because Jane was working for this company in the jewelry quarter. And if we'd had kids when we wanted to have kids, we would never have started the church. I'm pretty sure of that. Because the two guys who started it with me needed to be in full-time jobs, and I think we would have thought, well, we can't do it really, can we? But because Jane was working, I could work for the church from day one without a salary. And yet that wasn't our design, and it wasn't our plan, but God knew what he was doing. There were many tears, but also great joy in serving to start that church. So weakness is a gift from a, a sovereign God. Secondly, weakness will protect you from your greatest enemy. There was given to Paul a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, actually. Lots of conjecture. Read the Bible commentaries. People come up with all sorts of ideas. Probably it was bad health. Paul had an eye condition that troubled him from time to time. In fact, he even says to the, of the Galatian Christians, you would have, well, he didn't quite use this language, but he basically says, you would have given me your eyes if you could have done. You loved me that much. So there was obviously some kind of problem with Paul's eyesight. But it could have been something else. It could have been all of the troubles from persecution that he experienced um, along the way. Whatever it was, well, Paul knew that it was to protect him from his greatest enemy himself. And whatever Paul is doing is what you and I would do. Three times, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Thank you for this present, Lord Jesus. Will you now have it back? Not once, not twice, three times. He pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Looking at the average age in this room, it's quite possible that you've not had to pray a prayer like that with that degree of intensity yet. You've not experienced something that you have begged Jesus to take away. And yet some of us have, and some of us are praying those kind of prayers right now. See, Paul can say, it was given to me, and yet he can still say to God, I don't want it, I don't want it, I don't want it. Please take it away. And the very trial that he was given 
that was a gift from God was also an opportunity for Satan, wasn't it? God allowed Satan to bedevil Paul. Paul says he was tormented by him. Exactly the same Greek word, torment, here, the messenger of Satan, verse 7, to torment. Exactly the same word, torment, is used of the Roman guards when they mocked and beat Jesus Christ. It's the same word. When they put that crown of thorns on his head, they were tormenting him. It's exactly the same word used of Jesus there that Paul is using of Satan, who wants to use this, this gift of God, whatever this infirmity or weakness was, God has a good purpose for it, but Satan saying, right, here is my chance to exploit and to bring down this man of God. Satan strikes when our weaknesses offer him that opportunities. But God, as we'll see in the second passage after coffee, God is bigger and his purpose is perfect. And he is at work through those same trials, transforming our suffering. And you see, Paul wasn't the only person to pray three times, take it away, was he? Remind you of anyone in a certain garden called Gethsemane? Take it away, was what Jesus prayed. And yet through his suffering, suffering because there was no other way, Jesus would redeem the world. So God didn't answer Paul's prayer in the way he wanted, and he didn't answer Jesus' prayer in the way he wanted, and he may not answer your prayers in the way you want it when you say, Lord, please take it away. So when God allows you to experience some kind of weakness, and he doesn't change your circumstance or your situation, please don't think that he's abandoning you, that he's somehow unwilling to hear you, because God has a higher purpose. Thirdly there, we are perfected in our weakness. That's his purpose. That's perhaps why he won't take it away. Because it's actually where we find our true strength when he doesn't take it away. Because verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is how I'm going to answer your prayer. This is how I'm going to meet your need. This is how I'm going to grow you as a Christian. You're going to discover in your weakness, that is when my grace meets you in your need. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Hence the title of our talks and series today, Perfected in Weakness. That's when God comes in, his sustaining, enabling power. And interestingly, as we've already heard this morning, that's often when the world starts to take notice. It's the power of a a life lived in weakness that can really wake up someone to the reality of Jesus Christ, that he is a living, ruling, reigning God. What kind of a strength is discovered in weakness? That's a question for you to mull over. Would you write that one down and think and reflect on that? What kind of a strength is discovered in weakness? And the answer is a strength that lies outside of yourself. It's outside you. It doesn't come from you. So three lessons to learn from verse 9. My grace is sufficient. Christ's grace really is enough for us. What was Paul seeking? Relief from the thorn. 
And he seems to think, oh, well, the way I'll be relieved is to take it away. But God answers otherwise. Don Carson writes, God granted the same ends, which is relief. God granted the same ends by another means. He gave relief from the thorn, not by removing it, but by adding more grace, sufficient grace. Robert Murray Machane said, God will either give you what you ask or something better. And the prayers of Paul, the prayers of Jesus were answered not by giving what they asked, but by something better. And my power is made perfect in weakness. Power isn't only present in weakness. Power is perfected in weakness because our weakness is the place where Christ steps in. Abraham Lincoln apparently said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had absolutely no other place to go. You see, that's why we learn strength in weakness because, boy, is there a time to pray when you've nowhere else to go, no other resources to rely upon. Only God can meet this need. And Christ's power is experienced when Paul discovers his ability to endure as a Christian. So Christians boast in your weakness, is what Paul says. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, verse 10. Because this is where Jesus is really seen and experienced in the life of the church that overspills into the world. And he can say, I delight in weaknesses of, of every kind, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The staying power that Christ has given him to go on proclaiming Jesus and living for Jesus, despite it all, is what brings God most glory. So how can you be sure? How can you and I be sure that weakness is the way? How can we know that that's where God really comes to work? Well, because many of us can testify to it for ourselves, because Paul testifies to it himself, but supremely because Jesus testifies to that reality. Jesus was perfected in weakness. He had to learn it too. I wonder whether you ever think of Jesus as a weak person. I guess most of us think he's a bit more like Superman. Do you remember when Clark Kent would go around and you knew it was Superman on the inside and that if a, if a bullet was fired from a gun, it would just bounce off? And we kind of think, isn't Jesus like that? Isn't he a bit like Superman, dressed as a human being but indestructible and, uh, and, and magnificent? And yet, no. He was made like us in every way. He didn't just look human. He was human. God in human flesh, not God in disguise. And we read in the letter of Hebrews that he was subject to weakness, chapter 5 and verse 2. He had to learn to trust God in every circumstance and even through tears we read. Could Jesus be obedient even to death? Could he learn that weakness was the way? And we read in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 that he prayed prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. And then verse 9, once made perfect, 
he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him. No weakness is the way, and we can delight in it because Jesus isn't just our perfect saviour. He's our perfect role model. Let's pray, shall we? For Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. And Lord Jesus, we know how hard this is. It takes many tears and many years to learn these lessons. Thank you for the stories we've heard. Thank you supremely for these words of scripture. Thank you for giving us confidence to believe that weakness is a gift from you because that is where we discover you to be our strength and our rock. Amen.